Have you ever taken a look at your habits, your happiness, your relationships, or your health and thought, there's got to be a better way to do this? Well, you're listening to the right podcast. Welcome to Simplify. I'm Caitlin Schiller, and on this episode, you'll hear my co-host, Ben Schumann-Stoller, talk to time management expert Laura Vanderkam. She's written books that I'm a big fan of, including I Know How She Does It, What the Most Successful People Do Before Breakfast, and 168 Hours. Here, she talks to Ben about why we often have more time to play with than we think we do. Also, she talks about a particular episode involving a water heater exploding that I've told a bunch of my friends about, so keep an ear out for that. After the interview, Ben and I go a bit deeper into the ideas and the books covered in the episode. So by the end of it, you'll have a good idea as to how you can cut through all the time management BS out there and start getting the most out of your time. Okay, let's get into it. Here's Ben Schumann-Stoller and Laura Vanderkam. Could you introduce yourself with your name and a one-line intro of choice? So I'm Laura Vanderkam, and I'm the author of several time management and productivity books, including I Know How She Does It, What the Most Successful People Do Before Breakfast, and 168 Hours. Great. Thanks. And thanks for making the time to to do this. I appreciate it. Oh, happy to be here. So like I said, I was going to start with like slightly broader questions. And the first one is basically, what's your story? Like, how did you how did you get to be the writer that that you are right now? So I wish there was some moment, <laughs> some epiphany I could tell people about that sparked my interest in time. It would make these questions a lot easier. But unfortunately, I really don't think life always works like that. Um, you know, I feel like I've always been interested in productivity, certainly figuring out even as a student how I would organize my time. But I became interested in time management through the topic of time itself, because there's fascinating data about how people spend their time now and in the past. Um, it's one of those topics where I feel like the conventional wisdom is wrong, that how we think we spend our time often has very little resemblance to the way we actually spend our time. And people make all kinds of choices based on perception of where the time goes, as opposed to the reality of where the time goes. And so I'm drawn to topics where I, I think there is that gap um, between perception and reality. And I hope to help people change their minds about how they see time. So, so is it fair to say that you you're interested in a in a sort of debunking, or is it more like a a correction, like social correction? I guess it's both. I mean, it's always fun to debunk things. I mean, certainly when you are part of those scintillating conversations where people are talking about their long, long, long work weeks and everyone's trying to one up each other. Um, to know that there have been studies comparing estimated work weeks and time diaries and finding that people can be off by 25 hours a week easily. Um, I also think that it, it's sort of funny how we tend to remember our worst nights as typical. And so we tend to put a lower number on sleep than uh, is, is reality or people who joke about having, or not joke about, but talk about having absolutely no leisure time whatsoever. And then you change the subject and start talking about a television program and they can answer questions about it. So it's clearly not the case that there's no leisure time whatsoever. It may be less than we want, but that's a different matter. So there's that. But I think sometimes these stories get us into trouble. Um, I've had a particular interest in looking at, for instance, 
women and how they combine work and life. And I think women are often subjected to a great many narratives about how impossible it will be to combine work and life in a way that leaves anyone happy or satisfied. And yet, when you look at the reality of many women's experiences, it's far less negative than these stories that make it into the media or into, you know, distraught novels and such. And and so I try to tell people, well, when we look at reality as opposed to the story, life might not be nearly as crazy as we often think it is. Right. There is a feeling in the book, I know how she does it, of of sort of like, just chill out for a second. What's actually important here? What are we actually trying to accomplish? Like there's a million different time management techniques. There's a million kinds of vegetable metaphors that we could get into about how to best organize your time. But like, take a step back and look at the whole thing and the and the choices you're making that leads to the things that's actually filling up the time. I mean, how did like how did you realize that? What made you step back and look at the big picture? Well, I think it's partly about focusing on the details and then seeing the big picture from that. That if I know, for instance, from studying time logs that. Uh, professional women, even in very demanding jobs, may work fewer hours than people think they do. Um, men as well, but I happen to be studying women for this particular book. Um, and, and that then there's 168 hours in a week. So if you're working, let's say, 45 hours and sleeping eight hours a night, so that's 56 hours, that would still leave uh, 67 hours for other things. And so it seems quite possible that it might be po- you know, possible to have a fulfilling personal life in 67 hours a week, because that is quite a bit of time. So it's seeing the numbers, but then broadly saying, well, if we know that time is there, then it's just a question of making the most of it and finding it and seeing what we wish to do with it. But it also came out of talking with many professional women and and saying, well, you know, their lives don't seem nearly as bad as one might imagine. I mean, I'd have young women say, oh, I looked around the senior women at my firm and there was no one whose life I wanted. And I said, well, did you really look that hard? (laughs) I mean, did you talk to them? I mean, sure, we all have negative moments and those can be the ones that stand out. Um, But when I have people look at a complete week, they'd often say, well, you know, here's three tough moments that happened, and I could construct a narrative based on those three points of evidence. But if I'm looking for three positive points of evidence, I could construct a narrative from that too. It's really how I choose to see my life. So you're sort of referring to something in the book you called the 24-hour trap, right? So we often think of our lives in days, um, but I think we actually live our lives in weeks. And this is a very important distinction to make. There's 24 hours in a day, there are 168 hours in a week. And people always say, well, there's not enough time in the day to get to everything I want to do, which is probably true. I mean, there probably isn't enough time in 24 hours to get to everything you want to do, but we don't live our lives in days. We live our lives in weeks. And when we look at the whole week, we can see that there often is enough space for what we want to do. I mean, those numbers I did earlier of working 45 hours, sleeping 56, leave 67 for other things. So quite a bit of time. But it also keeps us from thinking that any given day's choices mean anything for life as a whole. I mean, maybe one light night you're working very late. Okay. Does that mean that life is terrible and horrible 
and you've had to make harsh trade-offs and life cannot last like this. Well, maybe, or maybe you'll be home early tomorrow night. So we could look again at the week as a whole, say, well, I was working late two nights and I was home five nights. Five is greater than two. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's make the most of the five I'm there and keep the two that I wasn't in a little bit more perspective. But so what do you think the, the, the women that you studied, um, you, you know, you studied a thousand and one days and so it was 143 weeks, um, of days. And in that, I mean, there's women from various different professions. I looked at people who were all earning, uh, over a hundred thousand dollars us, um, because that puts us in the category of people with what are going to be big jobs, right? The demanding jobs. And, you know, certainly there are some jobs that are pay less that are very demanding too, or that, you know, maybe pay more and aren't as demanding. But in general, earning six figures means you probably have a pretty serious career going on. And so I wanted to look at people who were going to need to put in um, serious hours, serious dedication to their jobs to see how those people combined work and family. We'll get into some of the details and stuff of what you found, but but still staying a little bit big picture. Like, did you find anything in the tiles, as you call the 30-minute chunks or 15-minute chunks that make up a day and a week? Did you find anything about the people who were able to look at the whole week instead of falling into the 24-hour trap? Yeah, I think that there were certainly ways that people moved time around uh, in order to make things fit. So particularly women who did need to work very long hours um, might consciously work, say, very late, two or three nights a week while traveling, and then that would buy them a much more reasonable life when they were home. And you would see that, that you would see 14-hour days when they're on the road, and so that there might be seven-hour days when they are home. Um, generally, you can tell when people are thinking through their time based on what you see on a log. So for instance, if somebody is exercising in the morning, that tends to mean they've thought about it, that this is a really good time to make this happen in their lives, and that's when it's going to happen. So that's a good indication. Um, Another indication is sometimes people would really talk about what they were doing during their work hours and people who used Monday for kind of big picture stuff, um, those people have thought through their time because they know it's important to get to that first in the week before all the week's emergencies come up and then they have to deal with it. And sometimes it'd even be fun stuff that you could see that only happens when you're thinking about your time, such as you know, having lunch with your spouse on Friday because it tends to be a lower key day. And so if you made arrangements to do that, um, then you get a equivalent of a date night in, but you probably already have childcare or people are already at school. So it's not something extra that you have to figure out. And so that's another thing that you'd see came from actually thinking about it. So you notice that there's this planning. I mean, I think all that stuff is really helpful, but I'm also curious about like some people that don't have the choice in the TED Talk and in the book, you're, you're very clear that some people at this moment in life are not going to have as much time as they want to. That's just how it goes. Is that fair? That's totally fair. Um, many people do not have as much free time, if that's what we're talking about, um, as, as they might wish. Okay. But on the other hand, there are a lot of people who, th- who are sort of swallowed by their time and, and probably do have more time than they think. And you give this example in the TED Talk of, of the uh, basement that gets flooded can you tell me about that that story real quick? So I really do believe that time is highly elastic. We cannot make more time, but time will stretch to accommodate what you need or want to put into it. 
So one of the women who kept a time log for I Know How She Does It, a very busy woman, two kids, works in finance, goes out for Wednesday night for something, comes home to find her water heater has broken and there's now water all over her basement. Mm -hmm. So this this causes a huge mess. Uh, When water heaters fail, they fail in a spectacular fashion. (laughs) Uh, So she's got this flood she's got to deal with in, in her basement. So the immediate aftermath that night of shutting off the water, next day she's got plumbers coming in, uh, day after that professional cleaning crew uh, deal with her ruined carpet. So all this is being recorded on her time log and winds up taking seven hours of her week. So there's always these magazine stories I find about like how to find an extra hour in the day. And if you think about it, finding seven hours in a week is the equivalent of finding an extra hour in the day. So she found an extra hour in the day, but it's not because she was doing all these cool little time saving techniques, like spending less time microwaving something (laughs) or uh, doing her errands in a way where she only has to make right hand turns or cleaning the shower while she's in it or all these other time saving tips that you read in magazines. What happened is that she had something that was immediately needed to consume her time. And so it was important. It was an urgent right in front of her. So she did it. She found seven hours. That's what we need to do with our priorities is treat them with the importance, the urgency of that broken water heater, that when it is flooding your basement, you will get to it. And I kind of feel like that's how we need to treat other things. You want to write that novel? Well, treat it like it's flooding your basement. (laughs) You're going to spend seven hours on it, um, just as you would on this broken water heater. If it is truly a priority to you, I am guessing you will find some time. Again, maybe not as much as you want, maybe not as much as somebody else in a different circumstance could find, Mm -hmm. but you can find some time. And often once you start finding some time, you can start finding more time as these things develop their own momentum and you start to see that bits of time can be allocated to these things that are important to you. So how do you explain that to somebody like when they're in the middle, when they're deep in it? I mean, I've I have a five month old baby. You have a baby that's not that much older than that, right? Or younger also. It's funny with book writing. By the time the book comes out, the babies are older than they were. I have four children. They are nine, seven, five, and two right now. Like, what do you tell a woman, a working woman, or not, or a man, I guess, um, who's like so deep in it that they can't see that they have choices and that they have priorities you know like it's only once the water heater breaks that there's an opportunity to be like okay actually i didn't i I, i'm not going to make it to that meeting and then in in retrospect you're kind of like yeah that meeting wasn't life or death you know (laughs) that is so true um i mean what i would say is that yes it will get better (laughs) so for starters (laughs) but we do still have some Time And one of the reasons I always suggest people do try keeping track of their time is that you can start to see these things and you start to tell yourself a different story once you say that, oh, okay, I do have some time, even if it's just an hour a day, it's some. I recently got a time log from a woman who had um, had triplets mm-hmm. and she had uh, 
two older children and and spontaneously conceived triplets as she was going for a third child. And so, you know, she's got five kids who are very young. This is the sort of thing that might seem to consume all available space. And she read a lot of the literature on raising multiples, and it was all very negative about how you will never sleep or have time to yourself again. <laughs> and, and she was curious, well, is this going to be true? Is, is this true? And so she tracked her time at a couple different junctures at various points in the, in the triplets' lives as they were um, about you know, seven months, 12 months, 15 months old. And she saw that she did have some personal time and she had to be good about things. I mean, she had to be good about getting the triplets on a napping and sleeping schedule. And she had to ask for help sometime from family members. And she had an occasional babysitter who came and things like that. But it it was about consciously using that time for things that would rejuvenate her rather than just sitting there and saying, oh, I have no time whatsoever because can't you see I have toddler triplets, which in my mind does seem like a very good excuse. Like right, I would right. believe if somebody told me that, oh, well, you know, I don't have any time because I have toddler triplets. But she said, no, well, I kept track of my time and I saw that I did have some. Again, not as much time as you might want, but some. And that is a very different story. And when we start from the story of some, then we can say, well, what do I wish to do with that time? And what would be best for me to do with that time and feel the most wonderful for me to do at that time instead of feeling defeated and like mm-hmm. we have no choices at all? So is that are those the questions that you would ask? Like what like cuz then it then it becomes about the good life, right? Now it's like you say okay, we have 30 minutes. What are you going to do in that 30 minutes? You know, to make you have how do you ask that how, how do you ask that question to them? Well, I think that's a very good way to put it. I mean, I, if you have 30 minutes, what would you like to do with it? And many times people don't even ask this question of what would like I like to spend more time doing because our assumption is that we have no time. So why would I even ask what would I like to spend more time doing? So in workshops, I I often have people create a very long list of things they want to spend more time doing in their lives. And you can make it in three categories if you want. Um, Career stuff, relationship stuff, self stuff. The career part is just because there are things within the context of work that many of us want to spend more time doing, even if we don't want to spend more time at work itself, there's often things you want to do more of within that time. So maybe more mentoring younger colleagues, more reading from work, more doing things that might establish you as a thought leader, more long-range planning, those sorts of things. Relationship categories, I mean, it could be trips you want to take with your family, or it could be things like joining a chorus with one of your children, or and then self stuff. I mean, that could be various exercise things, spiritual things, all that good stuff that that you want to do. But anyway, make a good long list of these specific things you want to spend more time doing. And then when you notice that you have open time, you can ask yourself, well, which of these things would I like to do? Or maybe even go ahead and make a prioritized list so you know that, oh, okay, well, when my baby goes down for a nap, I'm going to go get on the treadmill first because that's one thing I know I Mm want to do. I know I want to exercise today. I mean, maybe the nap will go endlessly and then we can do all sorts of things, but we're going to prioritize this first. Then we know it will happen. I think my girlfriend would say shower. Shower is another good thing, right? <laughs> I, uh, although if the baby is young enough, the, the baby won't go anywhere, right? So right. you can just uh, put him or her in like the car seat and jump in the shower anyway. So that, that can be done when, when there's not napping time. Yeah. Hey, this is Caitlin. Just wanted to say first, thanks for listening to Simplify for this whole awesome season. Yeah. We have an ask for you. This is I, this is something Caitlin has taught me how to do. Ask for something you want. And I really want more people to listen to this podcast. So I'd really appreciate it personally and professionally 
to be honest, <laughs> if people uh, take out whatever, f- you're already listening to this on a device and just go into the iTunes, what's it called now? Apple Podcasts mm-hmm. or Stitcher or anywhere else you can give reviews and just leave us five stars and then say, I really appreciated Simplify, even though Ben just couldn't straight up ask me <laughs> to do this. Yeah. And then maybe send it to a friend if you liked it. Yeah. We'd appreciate that. Send it to an enemy too. It's fine. <laughs> You seem very confident about all of this right now, that this makes sense, this is the right way, this is like very clear that, you know, the Anne-Marie Slaughter, I don't know if that's how you say her name, but I think it is, the article from 2012, the Atlantic article, the takeaway from that article is the women who have managed to be both mothers and top professionals are superhuman, rich, or self-employed, which your book strongly, strongly rejects. Did you always feel that way? I mean, you're right. I do reject that idea that in order to make work and family possible, you have to be rich, human, or self-employed. But of course, I'm self-employed. So of course, I was willing to believe that maybe I'm coming at it from that perspective and um, I am missing something. But as I studied more women who were not self-employed, and I think most of them would not claim to be super women either, uh, I, I could see that I was not the only person who is managing to see my children from time to time <laughs> and uh, possibly get some exercise in and, and read a book on occasion. Um, and so I read stories where people say, well, you know, women will never work 50 hours a week because it would require them to be gone from eight in the morning to eight at night every day. And so they'd never see their children. I said, well, that's not how women work 50 hours a week. I can see on these time logs, women working 50 hours a week who are seeing their children. Uh, It also seems to presume that eight to eight are the only hours that exist, which is also not true, as you probably know, with having a young child, yeah, uh, they yeah. they tend to be up at different hours um, that you see them as well. And when we write off weekends as not existing, which is always strikes me as a strange uh, way people tell this story, with 168 hours a week, my time log went from 5 a.m. Monday to 5 a.m. Monday, all right? Mm-hmm. At the exact halfway point of that is 5 p.m. Thursday, we often think of 5 p.m. Thursday as like the end of the week, right? Yeah, but yeah. 5 p.m. Thursday is actually halfway through if we start at 5 a.m. Monday. And, and so people get very up in arms about, you know, how much they're working between 5 a.m. Monday and 5 p.m. Thursday and maybe having a little less personal time than they want, but then don't even consider how much family and personal time happens between 5 p.m. Thursday and 5 a.m. Uh, Monday. And, and so I feel like the stories that, you know, we, we just can't have it all are, are missing a lot of elements that are there when you look at time more holistically. But so what makes these narratives so powerful, do you think? Because they follow the narrative format that our brains respond to. Uh, there's a certain storytelling format where you have three points of evidence or three anecdotes that then lead to an epiphany. Right. Mm-hmm. That's that's a very attractive form of story. It's one people can remember. Uh, and, and so that's how we tend to tell these tales. It's like, oh, well, you know, I was late to work because of this. And then I had to, you know, miss the softball game the other night. And then I was, um, you know, stuck 
up with my child all night long and then I couldn't, I slept over my alarm, missed an important meeting and and therefore life is crazy. Life is unsustainable. Something must change. Mm -hmm. I must dial down, scale back, opt out, join in this chorus of everyone chanting that women can't have it all, right? Mm -hmm. That is a very good narrative format, but life is not lived in a narrative format. Like life is not lived with epiphanies that come based on three points of evidence. Like life is varied, life is vast, life is a mosaic. And so yes, we may have had three wretched moments in any given period of time. We may have had three awesome moments in any given period of time. We can choose what sort of epiphany we wish to come out of this. And, you know, as everyone's saying that women can't have it all, that seems to be the epiphany that you're more likely to have, as opposed to saying, well, you know, I had a really bad day. Huh. My epiphany is that I had a really bad day. (laughs) Such is the human condition, right? That we will have bad days. Uh, So that's a slightly less satisfying narrative format, but I think it's a lot closer to the truth. Mm -hmm. So if you could boil it down to one sentence or, or one principle, what would it be? Look at all your time. Make sure you're seeing the whole picture before you draw any conclusions that are going to artificially limit your life. Awesome. I love this quote you have. uh, The short version is, life is stressful and life is wonderful. I think there is no contradiction between those two things. And we're looking for one to be true and the other to be not. Um, But at any given moment, either of those could be true. And the next moment, the opposite could be true. And I think, you know, part of wisdom is understanding that two contradictory impulses can both be true when viewed from a broader perspective. Mm -hmm. So if it's cool, I have like three kind of quick, small questions. One, I know from your blog and people should look at your blog, but what book did you last read? The most recent, well, what I'm reading right now is uh, Journey to Little Dribbling. I think that's the name of it. It's a Bill Bryson book um, on the UK and his his travels around the UK. Years ago, he wrote a book called Notes from a Small Island. And this is the follow-up when he's older and more curmudgeonly. <laughs> so it's, <laughs> it's pretty funny. <laughs> and you squeeze that in um, between your Hemingway and your fiction. Between somehow. the Hemingway and the other, yeah. I've, I've been on a bit of a reading tear and it's it's great. My, my youngest child is older than age two and time has started to open up just as I thought it would. <laughs> nice. Um, what are three books that you didn't write that someone should read if they want to, if they want to sort of learn more about, about what we talked about today? So, I mean, they should also read your three books. We should just, yeah, they should read my three books. Um, one for sure. I always recommend people read is the seven habits of highly effective people. And it's a classic. So a lot of people have read it, but it came out in 1990. So it's starting to be old enough that people might be like, oh, well, I'm not sure. It doesn't even deal with the topic of email. Right. <laughs> <laughs> How could he possibly understand what my life is like now? Right. Um, so I would suggest, but it's, it's still got a lot of great wisdom about how to uh, think about your time ahead of time, how to make sure you're investing in the right things. So I would, I would recommend that for sure. Okay. It is also the number one most popular uh, book on Blinkist. Well, there you go. So your, your listeners clearly uh, know what they're talking about. For sure. And then uh, last thing, I want to ask everybody what simplification means to you and maybe one way that you use simplification or one way that you simplify stuff in your own life? 
So I think one of the most practical and best ways you can simplify is to set very limited intentions for any given day. We often have to-do lists that have like 30 things on it. And there's no way you're going to get through all 30 things. You're going to get through like eight, but who knows if those eight were the right eight things on that 30 to get through. So try to make yourself very limited intentions for any given day. I mean, three things, maybe five things, I don't know, probably eight at most. And that way you can make more of a contract with yourself that you will get through them. And that way the to-do list becomes a much more effective document as opposed to some wish list that just makes you feel bad. Because you didn't get anything done. Because you didn't get anything done. And and the funny thing is there's absolutely no virtue of putting something on your to-do list and then not doing it. It's just as if you didn't put it on the, the to-do list, only now you feel bad about it. Right. So really, a- <laughs> it's a worse world than if you didn't put it on the list at all, right? So let's just make a limited list of what you know you'll get through. I'm a big proponent of the exact opposite of that, where I put stuff on I've already done just to cross it off. <laughs> just to cross it off. Yeah. Well, that can be that can feel motivational as well, and I will admit that I've done that from time <laughs> to time. Um, but uh, in general, try to keep it as limited as possible. <laughs> I have found the yellow post-its. Cross that one. <laughs> cross <out>. that one off. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the bookend. Where we end with books. Oh, yeah. My turn to do one of these, finally. <laughs> yeah, that it is. We just heard your chat with time management mastermind, Laura Vanderkam. There were some stories. There were some tips. There was even some math in there. Ugh. What's the one <laughs> thing <laughs> What's the one thing that we should remember from your interview? Okay. I think there are a few things. I think Vanderkam said it best when she said... There's a gap between perception and reality when it comes to how we spend our time. Mm. We like to put it simply, we think we have less time than we really have. Yeah, I think that's really true. Not to bring everything back to mindfulness, but it's almost as if she's saying we're not being aware or mindful of how we spend our time. Right. We're not being aware of how we spend our time. And that's dangerous because like this, it's kind of an ignorance. When you're ignorant of something, you make bad decisions. And when it comes to time management and you make bad time management decisions, it really affects your life. You stay at the office too long. You feel guilty. You feel like you're letting your family down. You say no to opportunities that could help your career or make your family happy. You can't plan a holiday and so on and so forth. Suddenly you're living in the train station. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) It just spirals way downward from there. Right. Yeah. Anyway. All right. What, What did you like about it? Um, I liked a lot about it, actually. But what I, I really like about her approach is that it's different from the classic, here are three ways to get extra hours in your week or use this trick to do more stuff. Um, She's saying we have the time. What were the numbers again? Oh, yeah, this is math. You got to just get it right. You try it. But I, I don't like the stereotype box that this is putting me into, but I really i am not a numbers fan. Never happened. But um, it was working 45 hours, sleeping 56. That's eight hours a night. I never sleep that much. Do you? Eight, yeah, sure. You do? Eight hours. Congratulations. So that leaves 67 hours left over. And if you're me, that's like, I don't know, 75 hours. But Yeah, but that's a lot, I think, is the point. Yeah. At least at least thinking about that. Like, what am I going to do with 67 hours is a lot. Yeah, it's kind of overwhelming, actually. It's it's a crazy surfeit of, of just extra time. Right. And, I, and then you combine that with her idea that time is highly flexible, or as she calls it, elastic. And you have this really powerful time management approach. So I like that. And I mean, think about time as like there is time and you can bend it to your will. You just have to kind of keep a close eye on it. 
Ooh, so we just learned how to bend time in this episode. Right, to your will. To your will. Right. Indeed. All right, Ben, why did you want to talk to her for this first season of Simplify? Yeah, well, first of all, I'm a big fan. I mean, I'm not that hardcore about it, but I like reading about time management and productivity approaches. You know that about me. Mm. Um, But as you also hinted at yourself, I don't love these little tips and tricks. Like, you know, optimize the time you spend brushing your teeth by learning three French words, that's six new words a day, 42 a week, da 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 mm. You know, like it's it's not, I don't know, I, everybody's different. Not, there's no one size fits all solution when it comes to time management. But the best takeaway is look at the big picture. Like you can have 67 hours left over. You just have to be aware of how you spend your time. Even if you have to track it, just be aware that you have that time and don't be put off by how you're supposed to spend your time. Oui. Because <laughs> you know enough French words to not have to, right? But also, I mean, like, can I start talking about books I recommended? Yeah, absolutely. Because, Let's do that. Because there's this trend, I think, now in the nonfiction world about sort of pushing back against this feeling of like pack in as much as you can, mm-hmm. do as much as you can, multitask, mm-hmm. you know, like use technology to do a thousand things at once. Yeah. And so I picked some books that to me are more about the big picture. Okay, great. Well, then, all right, let's start us off. What's number one? This is a little bit off to the side. Number one is kind of seven habits of highly effective people because think about your time ahead of time. Don't say like an apology. It's the most popular book we have on Blinkist. That's true. Trust (laughs) the wisdom of the masses. Indeed. Indeed. (laughs) Well, it's it's one that people obviously keep getting a lot of value out of. So there's got to be something there. I'm mentioning it in this tone of voice just because she said it. It was Mm. one of my recommendations. Okay. But okay. But so one of my recommendations is Deep Work by Cal Newport. Ah, yeah. Your favorite dude. Yeah. And... It's kind of intense. Yeah, I got that. So deep work, just so if no one's familiar, it kind of takes the approach that because today's economy relies on knowledge workers, you know, we don't work in factories with our hands. We work on computers with our brains Mm. for the most part. Um, The way you succeed in those spaces as a knowledge worker, the people who succeed in those spaces are people who can work deeply. That means being able to focus for a long amount of time Mm -hmm. on on a intellectually challenging task. Yeah. So you have to learn that. Right. You use some of his methods, right? Yeah, I mean, he has this thing of like, what happens if you didn't use social media for 30 days? Mm-hmm. Would anybody care? Yeah. And and some people work in social media. Some people, I mean, that's totally fine. But mm-hmm. I like often will just go completely mute on social media and realize like, I didn't need that. Yeah. And um, I work much better during those, during those months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like to turn my phone on airplane mode sometimes when I'm at work. Yeah. And not have to deal with it at all. Yeah. So, right. So deep work. Okay, you recommend one. All right, so I like Single Tasking by Devorah Zak. It's a little similar to Deep Work in that it also advocates this single focus. Being able to work on one thing is really important, and it's a skill that we're losing more and more, at least getting getting less in touch with. Um, she also keeps the big picture in mind by explaining how, for example, our brains didn't evolve to handle so much multitasking, or how being able to focus actually improves your social life because you can, you know, pay attention to the people that you're with. Right. Isn't there something also about how multitasking is deadly? Yeah, because of texting while driving. All right. Yeah. This is, but this is what I mean. There's like this pushback about, right? Everybody's freaking out about do as much as you can, but now there's this pushback of, yeah. Or do the one, just do one thing. Right. No, stop it. Simplify. Simplify. Yeah. Okay, good. We got four solid titles people can check out, including, of course, Vanderkam's own. And as always, we'll include more info on the books in our show notes. Should we take this to the outro? Yep. All right. Thanks for listening to Simplify. 
This episode was produced by me, Caitlin Schiller, Ben Schumann-Stoller, Nika Mavrodi, and Odie Constantino, who once tried going an entire week without sleeping, only to lose his bearings, board the wrong train on the way to work, and be woken up half a day later by a security guard's nightstick somewhere near the Baltic Sea. Poor Odie. If you enjoyed this episode or feel you learned something, please think about sending it to someone else who you think might learn something too. We're really, really grateful for all of you so far. We're almost done with this season, but we've gotten lots of ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts and in other podcatchers, uh, not just in the U.S. store, but U.K., Germany, Canada, Australia, we see you. And it's just pretty incredible to see uh, Simplify up there among the big famous podcasts like This American Life, Reply All, and so on. Super exciting. And thanks to all of you who've subscribed and keep on listening. You put us there and we're super delighted about it. Um, If you don't receive Simplify automatically, go ahead and subscribe so you do and you won't miss a single episode. Um, And while you're there, if you wouldn't mind taking a moment to add a review or rating, we'd be super appreciative. It helps us get the word out. Simplify is made by the same people who make Blinkist, a learning app that takes the world's best-selling nonfiction books and condenses them into focused little capsules of audio and text you can listen to or read in just 15 minutes. Boom. Get 14 days free by going to Blinkist.com slash friends and typing in this episode's special voucher code, which is water heater. Again, it's uh, Blinkist.com slash friends. And water heater is the voucher. One word, lowercase. Yes. And you can email me and Caitlin. Thanks for all the people um, who've emailed us so far. Some nice conversations ongoing, but we're at podcast at Blinkist.com. If you have enough time, think about emailing us, but you know, you do have enough time. So get writing. Yeah. Shout out to shout out to Ryan McLeod and Martin Bromley who wrote in really early on and it was they gave us some some really nice props and it was awesome to hear from them. Yeah. Hey Ryan. Hey, hey. Martin. Thanks guys. Real people. Real people. Cool. Yeah. So we'll be back next week with the uh, the last episode of Simplify, unless we have a bonus one up our sleeves. We'll have to see about that. Ooh. My sleeves are short today, so I don't know. <laughs> All right. In the meantime, be good. This is Ben checking out. Checking out. Bye. Bye.